Welcome to the Three Point Thread Podcast. It's been a long absence here as both Jared and I have been struggling to get our schedules to line up, but we are back and we're excited. We have a lot to catch up on through the offseason. We have the draft, we have free agency, we have a summer league. So buckle up. This is going to be a really good podcast where we're going to go over a lot of the things that have happened with the NBA and the Utah Jazz. We'll start with point one where we're going to talk about really the NBA as a whole, some of the signings that we're the most excited about and we thought who were kind of the winners and losers of free agency. Then we'll talk about the Jazz themselves. We'll go in chronological order over each of the moves they've made this offseason. And then we'll finish up talking about the Summer League and our impressions of Utah Jazz players. And we'll mention just a few players across the NBA who have really impressed us. So buckle up and get ready for point one. Point one. So we are once again joined by Jared Woodcox, where we'll be talking about point one and free agency. Jared, how you doing? Good, how you doing, John? Doing really good, doing really good. How's the summer been for you? It's been good, man. You know, the other day, though, I was thinking, like, I'm really excited for the uh, the upcoming jazz season, and we still have, like, three months left, so that's kind of depressing. But <laughs> That is a little depressing. Like, the end of the season was two months ago, but I don't know, the NBA and basketball have a pretty good job of like extending the season an extra two months but then after summer league there's just this period of nothing and yeah i don't know about you I'm, i've never been a baseball fan so this is kind of a rough time of the year for me yeah i mean i like baseball but not to the point where i'm falling every night in night out like i am with basketball so it's yeah definitely tough yeah um well like i said for point one we want to talk a lot about free agency and really just a quick touch base on what's happened so far and recapping what our thoughts and impressions have been uh, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was just free agent signings that have kind of moved the needle for us. Someone who either we were really impressed that they retained that free agent and we think he's going to be big for him next year, or someone who left his team and we feel like they're going to have a big impact on their future team. Um, so Jared, I'll, I'll let you start us off. Who, what stood out to you? So honestly, the first one that comes to mind for me, John, is Paul George. Um, I mean, as it got closer to the actual decision, I was starting to think, wow, this is this is for real that he's going to stay in Oklahoma City. But if you had told me, you know, when they got eliminated from the playoffs that Paul George was going to stay in OKC, I would have never believed you. And the fact that they've kept him and that he's, you know, committing to them long term, honestly, I think it actually speaks volumes to the Thunder organization. Um, I think it's a very good look for them. You know, some of their other money-spending decisions this summer have been a little bit questionable, and they still have to figure out what to do with Carmelo. Um, but, you know, if they do get rid of him, which sounds like they're going to, I think the Thunder could be a dangerous team next year because Carmelo was a big kind of root of their problems. I think it would be a big addition-by-subtraction move. And the fact they still have Paul George there, I think they're going to be a good team next year, especially if uh, Andre Robertson can get back healthy. So that's one of the ones that really stands out to me. Yeah, no, that was huge. That was the first one on my list, just because it was so shocking and it happened so quick. Um, I I really thought Paul George was at the very least going to go out there and explore other options. Um, But the fact that he had no meetings, like no meetings or discussions with other teams, it was just, I'm going back to the Thunder. Um, And the way they did it was pretty weird with that huge party, Uh, which like, I I mean, that tells you a lot too, because that party doesn't just happen. I mean, that's something that obviously had to go, like, they had to plan that. It had to take a lot of time and a lot of planning to make something like that happen. So it sounds like this had been in the works for a while, Um, which, I mean, maybe we just all underestimated the relationship that he had with Russell Westbrook. 
Um, my impression, I don't know if you got this impression, but when they were playing the Jazz, I, I just thought there's no way he's staying because near the end of that series, there was a few moments where it was just like he does not look happy. He did not look like he was fitting in and enjoying being in OKC. I mean, did you recognize that, especially in the last game? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Maybe the last game was partly because he was just struggling so bad, but I felt that same way. Um, but at the same time, I kind of think, like you said, I think that I think him and Russell Westbrook have known this has been going to happen for a while. I think he confided in Westbrook. But it's just odd to me because it's not like they had the greatest chemistry on the court, but I, I guess there's something there. Yeah, and I mean... I think, like you said, maybe both of them recognized that Carmelo Anthony was a big part of this and was a big issue with this. And I don't know if the organization had discussions with Paul George and Russell Westbrook and said, hey, like, this is what we're going to do to prepare for next year. We're going uh, we're, we're to buy out Carmelo Anthony and just re-sign these players we think are going to make our chemistry a lot better. And they sold him on that. Um, I think that's the interesting thing, too, is they haven't really done anything – outside of retain their own players. I don't think they brought anybody in. Uh, they're just going to buy out Carmelo Anthony, and then we'll see what they do from there. But as of right now, they're kind of rolling back the same team, just minus Carmelo Anthony. Um, so I guess the question is, is that big enough of a change to get them past the first round? So. Um, I, I th- honestly, I think it could be. Um, I really feel like he you know, really brought them down a lot. But then again, it's not like they've gotten a ton better. So I guess I'll say maybe it, it works out, and if they have Robertson back and they can have their defense back, maybe it gets them past the first round. But I still don't think they're anywhere close to legitimate title contenders. Yeah. I don't th- well, actually, so I, I forgot the one player they brought in. They brought in Nerlens Noel. That's right. On that on that minimum two-year deal, which, man, Nerlens Noel, that's got to be one of the saddest stories in the NBA. Yep. I mean, he turned down four years, $70 million, and now he got the minimum. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I still kind of like Nerlens Noel. I think he might be an interesting player if he pans out. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely saw some potential. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move on from the Thunder. Um, so the other player that really intrigued me who left their team um, was Julius Randle going to the Pelicans. I, I really like Julius Randle. He was a guy who... A little, a little part of me thought if we were going to move on from Derek Favors, I really liked the idea of Julius Randle and just his ability to um, just be intense and go after rebounds. And I, my favorite part about him is he kind of – I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way with this comment, but he reminds me of Draymond Green, but not the personality of Draymond Green, just the play. Um, as far as a, a versatile big who can get the ball, he can run, he can push it. He can pass the ball really well as he's running fast breaks. Um, defensively, he still needs to improve, but the intangibles are there as far as his athletic ability. Um, I mean, he put up a career year yes, last year. He averaged 16 points, eight rebounds, averaged close to three assists. And I just, the fit with him along Anthony Davis to me is going to be really, really intriguing. Um, so that was one of the signs that stood out to me. What do you, what do you think about that? Do you think that'll be a good fit? Um, yeah, I mean, I really like the potential of it for sure. And to me, with the Pelicans, I, I mean, I know we're all a little bit disgruntled that uh, Demarcus Cousins went to Golden State, um, but I think the Pelicans made the right move in moving on from uh, from Demarcus Cousins. And I think with uh, Miritich and now with Randall, 
Um, it kind of gives the Pelicans some really cool options alongside Anthony Davis. You know, if they really want to focus on stretching the floor, they have Miritich. If they want someone that can kind of bang in there a little bit and get rebounds alongside Anthony Davis, they got Randall. So it's it gives them a really cool dynamic and a versatility they didn't quite have before. So yeah, I agree. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see how it pans out. Yeah, I'm curious who they're gonna start, Julius Randall or Nikola Miritich, just because yeah. Miritich played with the team last year over the second half of the season, played really well. Um, I I think his role in helping the Pelicans kind of turn their season around. Um, and getting past the first round in the playoffs, I think he was a big part of that. So uh, I do think Julius Randle, I don't know if he's the type of player who really helps your bench by coming off the bench. I think Miritich is better coming off the bench. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do, but re- regardless of what they do, I do think it's going to be a really good fit in Pelicans. I I envision them as a team that's going to be back in the playoffs next year. I also liked the Alfred Payton signing for them. I think he's an upgrade over Rondo. Um, I've never been a big fan of Rondo. I think he has big stats, but they don't really help his team win. Um, and I think Pel- uh, Peyton will really help them. I've actually, just real fast, I've actually liked Peyton for a long time. I, I feel like he just needs to get in the right situation for him, and he could still be a great player, and hopefully New Orleans will be that. Yeah, and I think it's hard to judge a player who was playing in Orlando for such a long time because we've seen players leave Orlando and then just kind of blow up. Um <clears throat> So, I mean, you never know. Maybe it's that type of situation where he just was never in the right basketball setting, and this will be right for him, and he'll play a lot better, um, which it could be good. I mean, they had success with this last year when they had Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo playing together, um, and I think they can do that as well with this lineup. Um, any other players that stood out to you? Um, well, I mean, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know that we, I think it was a few weeks back, John, we kind of gave, I think both you and I kind of thought that LeBron would end up in L.A., um, but I just feel like it's, it's kind of gone weird in that I don't think the team is going to be that good. Um, I mean, obviously LeBron James is phenomenal, um, but the supporting cast around him is very, very odd. Um, even coming from someone who personally I like, Lance Stevenson, I know you don't <laughs> that much, um, but I still don't think the fit is quite right. I mean... I mean, now uh, LeBron won't have to worry about Lance bothering him in the playoffs if they if they would have met. Um, but other than that, like, I mean, they didn't have any shooting. Um, it's just been all about adding playmakers. You got you got Stevenson and you have Rondo, who are not anywhere close to three point shooters. And it just feels like I don't know. I just it's going to be a weird fit. I feel like it's going to be Cavs 2.0. LeBron's going to carry him, but he's going to realize the Western Conference is a lot harder than um, the East. Unless they add someone, unless you know they get Kawhi or something crazy happens, we now in the start of the season. I don't even see that Lakers team making the Western Conference Finals. To be honest with you, yeah, me neither. I don't see them getting that far. Um, I saw an article that went out recently that was about. I mean, does LeBron James and the Lakers do they even make the playoffs? And I think for sure they make the playoffs. Um, if you have LeBron James on your team, you're making the playoffs. He's just too good. He'll carry you there. Um, but in the Western Conference, I mean he was, what, a third seed, fourth seed last year in the Eastern Conference? Like, in the West, I mean, they're seventh or eighth seed. Um, And I look at this team, and I think they're worse than the Cavaliers team last year. I mean, mean, he doesn't have anyone next to him like Kevin Love on this team. So I thought that was really odd. Um, I mean, if you're the Lakers and you get LeBron James and he wants to come there, you do it. It's the moves around that that made no sense to me. Um, and, and kind of touching on what you said, just 
who's going to shoot? I mean, LeBron James is best when you put the ball in his hands and allow him to kind of create and set guys up for like open three-point shots. There's no one there to make them. You can have Rondo spotting up in the corner. I mean, JaVale McGee might be a better three-point shooter than him. <laughs> so like, I, I just don't really see the point. The only thing I can envision is maybe this is a part of a bigger plan of like, we're going to get a trade. We're going to trade for Kawhi Leonard or whatever it might be. And these are just pieces that are going to be tied into that. Yeah, um, very well could be. Yeah, and it wouldn't shock me. Um, I, I have seen reports lately, though, that Kawhi Leonard doesn't even want to go there. So now that LeBron's there. So that's a good one. I think we have to mention LeBron James. It'll be intriguing to see what they do. I'm excited as a Jazz fan just because we used to only see him once a year, and now we might get to see him twice a year in Utah, which is kind of nice. Especially near like the twilight of his career. Like I don't know how much we're going to be able to see him, and I, I don't know. Like I appreciate being able to see greatness, so that'll be nice. Also, because I don't think they're a very good team, I think LeBron James's streak of losing in Utah is going to continue. I hope so. <laughs> I think I saw I saw someone tweet out that LeBron James is going to go zero and six against Utah this year because he's going to lose twice during the regular season, and then we're going to meet up in the first round of the playoffs, and the Jazz are going to win in seven, winning all their home games. He'll go zero and six. That's way funny. Uh, one other player that I wanted to bring up, um, mainly for you, Jared, because I figured you'd have some good thoughts about this, but yeah. Tyreek Evans to the Pacers I thought was a really, really big underrated signing. Yeah. Um, Evans was terrific last year. I think a lot of people have kind of written him off. Like He had his Rookie of the Year campaign um, when he was with the Kings, and then ever since then he just got worse, which is odd to see. Uh, but then he really turned it around last year for the Memphis Grizzlies. He averaged 19.4 points, a little over five rebounds, a little over five assists. Um, he was one of only eight players in the entire NBA um, to average over 19.5 and five. Um, really good, effective player, another ball handler, and I think that's something the Pacers really needed to bring in to kind of lessen the load on uh, Victor Oladipo. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I feel like the Pacers had a really good offseason. I'm very pleased with what they've done. Um, I love the Tyreek Evans edition. My biggest question mark with Evans, and I have a feeling that this has already been kind of communicated and figured before they signed him, um, but most of the stuff I've read seems to indicate that Evans will come off the bench. He's going to kind of be like the sixth man that uh, Bogdanovich will still start. And I like that. I like the idea of, you know, Evans might be playing more minutes than the starters, um, but he's kind of that, you know, that awesome sixth man that's getting you buckets. If he embraces that role and really loves it and thrives in it and becomes kind of a, you know, shoulders the offensive load for this unit and it closes games out with Oladipo, I think it's going to be awesome. If there's any sort of ego there where he thinks he should be starting over Bogdanovich or something like that, that's when I can see things getting a little bit troublesome. Um, but then again, it, everything he's shown from last year to this offseason, I think he's willing to accept this role. I think he's excited to play with Indiana. I think he'll fit the culture there. So, yeah, I love it. And then I think that McDermott, it felt like a bit of an overpay um, to me, but the, the Pacers did have quite a bit of money to spend, and he gives you shooting, which is what they needed. So both of those are good. And then Kylo Quinn is kind of an under-the-radar one, too, but all three of those I think were really solid pickups for the Pacers. Yeah, no, I think it was great. Um, that actually kind of ties me into my next Next topic I wanted to ask real quick about was just, as far as teams go, who do you feel like are winners and losers of this um, offseason? And that was one of the winners for me, as I really feel like 
in the Eastern Conference, I feel like the Pacers had the best offseason. Uh, just really solid moves all around. They didn't lose anybody who was going to have like a really big impact on their team, but they were able to bring in Tyreek Evans, who obviously was really productive last year, but I like Doug McDermott. He's a guy who I've always just had a, a soft spot for, and I kind of wanted the Jazz to go after him just because I think he's the type of player who, if given the right opportunity and put in the right role, I feel like he could really, really be a, an effective off-the-bench player. And I, I think that's something the Pacers, Pacers will do with him. They definitely won. Yeah, I mean, they, they look like they're going to be really good next year. Do you, yeah. How do you feel like they're going to finish in the East next year with no LeBron? Awesome. Yeah, I thought a lot about that. And if their offseason additions work out well, that's kind of caveat number one. But then the biggest thing for me that has to happen is, is Miles Turner needs to finally have his breakout year. Um, Turner's been good. I think yeah. Turner's a very solid young player. He needs to stay healthy. He missed a bunch of games off and on with various injuries, like he had an elbow injury and other things like that. But if Turner can finally come on next year and those offseason additions work out, I really see it. I could honestly see a top three finish for the Pacers. Yeah. Um, I think everyone kind of thinks Boston and Philly are going to be the best two teams, um, which there, there's a lot of reason for that. You still have the Raptors that I think will be good. Um, but you look at it, and last year the Pacers actually matched up extremely well against both Philly and Boston. And I think you could argue that Philly kind of took a little bit of a step backwards. They lost some some of their good shooting, some of their bench, and um, the Pacers obviously have gotten better. So I think there's a chance that they could really be in the top three. Yeah, definitely. Winners. I also put the Warriors. I think you have to mention the Warriors. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, they didn't do a ton this offseason short of bringing in DeMarcus Cousins, but that's all you have to do to win. And they're, they're one of the few teams who could do it. It was just one of those. I, I saw so many people who were mad and upset about this signing and feel like there's just so much imbalance in the league right now. But in my head, kind, kind of two things. The first, even without DeMarcus Cousins, was anyone going to beat the Warriors? No. Probably not. So who cares? I mean, they might as well have another guy. Like, they were going to win either way. Um, yeah. Uh, the second thing, though, is I think we're forgetting what a devastating injury an Achilles injury is. I mean, yeah. we, we don't know what they're going to get from DeMarcus Cousins. He might not even play the first four, five months of the season. I mean, he might not come back until around the All-Star break. And when he comes back, I, I don't know how effective he's going to be anymore. We've There's not a good track record for people coming back from an Achilles injury. And it usually, when people are able to come back and kind of get back to the point where they were or close to the point where they were, usually it's not until like a year or two down the road. So I'm, I don't think it's that huge of a signing, but I still think he can be a very effective player for him in a minimized role. Just play like, give him like 15 to 20 minutes off the bench. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins can still shoot threes if you get a switch. Like, I mean, imagine them playing the Rockets who obviously we know from experience that they like to switch everything on their defense. I mean, imagine if they try and switch everything and all of a sudden DeMarcus Cousins is paired with Chris Paul. And that, that's going to be a really effective weapon for them. So I think the Warriors definitely won this offseason just by retaining Kevin Durant, bringing in another talent, and running it back next year. And I mean, they're setting themselves up to three-peat. Mm-hmm. And, and don't forget they brought in Jonas Jarebko too, which we'll get to. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, I would just say I wrote about the Cousins acquisition, um, you know, shortly after it happened. And one thing that's kind of interesting to me is that, you know, teams across the league looked at Cousins, and I guarantee they thought, okay, if we add Cousins, if we pay Cousins, is that going to get us over the hump to beat the Warriors? Is that going to be worth some of the 
you know, some of the um, risks to that. And ultimately, they all said no. And because of that, the Warriors were able to snatch him up for pennies, essentially. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of lame that they've got him from a parity standpoint. But like you said, I don't think it makes much of a difference anyway. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's you make a good point, though. Like, you can't be mad about it if everyone had a fair opportunity to resi- or to sign him. I mean, if, if he signed for them for, I mean, what was it, the mid-level exception? So, like, five-point-something million? Five million, yep. Um, almost every team could have offered that. The Jazz could have offered that. But yeah. for whatever reason, a lot of people felt like it wasn't the right decision, and I kind of agree. I, I've never been a fan of DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, just as an example, like, if the Jazz had signed him, I don't think I would have been happy about it. Agreed. Um, I just think he messes up a lot of cultures. Um, he's he's never shown that he can win in the NBA. But I mean, that being said, Golden State they're at a position where they can take a risk like this, and they'll probably still be fine. So, yep, for sure. Um, um, talking about winners and losers real fast, you just mentioned them. One of my losers, John, is actually the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I think they've had a poor off season, and honestly, I I think their window to beat the Rockets might have closed. Uh, they lost their two best, two of their best perimeter defenders in Mbamute and also Trevor Reza, and they haven't really added anything, I think we could see them take a little bit of a step backwards next year. Yeah, definitely. And like both those guys, Ariza kind of makes sense. I mean, the one year, $15 million, I, I get Ariza's like 33 now, and you might not want to offer that type of contract. Mm-hmm. But Imba Mute signed for nothing. I mean, it was like one year minimum. Yeah. So I, I don't understand why they couldn't have just signed him to that. I mean, I'm sure they... It sounds like if they had offered that, he would have taken it, and it sounds like they didn't even offer it. So, yeah, they're definitely losers, and, and right now Clint Capella is still just up in the air. Yep. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with him. Last last I heard, they're, I mean, like 40 to $60 million off. Like, Capella thinks he should get around $100 million, and they think he's like 50 to $60 million. And if they lose him, and he was really, really a big, important part of their, their team last year. If they lose him, honestly, if they lose him, I think the Jazz would leapfrog the Rockets in my mind. I agree. Um, one thing, too, and I don't think this necessarily is a, a lose move right now, um, but I think you could argue that the Chris Paul signing was um, a bit of a lose move in the long yep. term just because, um, I mean, that's a lot of money to hand out to him, and he's, not a, he's no spring chicken anymore. I mean, he's going to be – getting up there in years by the end of that contract, and it's going to really hurt them from a financial and flexibility standpoint. So, I mean, I think they had to keep Chris Paul to, you know, keep whatever window they have left alive, but I think that one could come back to bite them in two years, especially if they don't get a championship out of it. Yeah, I agree. I think this this Rockets team, I could see this blowing up as early as next year where something happens and goes wrong, and they just – Already during this next season, we're saying, what were they thinking? They really made a mistake. Because um, Chris Paul, I mean, how many point guards have a history of being good and healthy when they're 33 and older? John Stockton, I think, might be one of the only ones. It just it doesn't happen very often. And Chris Paul has already shown that he's not healthy. He can't stay on the court. I and mean, over the last few years, I don't think he's, I don't think he's played a full 82-game season in a long, long time. Um, I'm going to look this up just because I'm curious now. Yeah. Let's see. 58 games, 61 games, 74 games, 82 games. He hasn't played an 82-game season since 2014 when he was 29. 
And over the last two years, he's at 61 games in 58. And, like, this is only regular season. We know that he's also missed time at the most important part of the year in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So Last year, that really, really hurt him. Yeah, I mean, they probably would have been. I, I think they would have beat the Warriors. Uh, they were on track to beat the Warriors, and then Chris Paul went down. If he stays healthy, I think they win. Um, I, I just don't, I don't know if you want to rely on a guy like that. But it also sounds like, for a second there, the Rockets thought they were going to be able to get LeBron James, and that kind of tied into it. Um, but, yeah, I think they're definitely losers. I mean, the only other loser I had, this was kind of a tame free agency, to be honest. There wasn't a lot that happened, a lot of, like, fun things to move the needle for me. I, I mean, We already touched on it, so I won't touch on it, but I wrote the Lakers just because the Lakers in general are losers, as Jazz fans were, were prone to think that. <laughs> But, I mean, for all the things we said, just you did this big thing to get LeBron in, and you did nothing else. Nothing else that really, like, made you a better team. And I think the window for LeBron James is closing. I think we all know that he is just this superhuman figure who, uh, he might be a robot. He really might. But players who are 33 years and older, he's going to start declining at some point. It has to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen because he's always defied the odds, but it has to happen at some point. So I feel like the window of opportunity for the Lakers to have LeBron James in his absolute prime and to win is shorter than the four-year contract that he signed. So basically his, his 16th season in the NBA, it seems like they're just punting that season and saying, well, we're going to bring everybody in in 2019 when the free agent class is a little bit bigger, better. But I don't know how good LeBron James is going to be. If he's going to continue to decline as he gets older and older, by 2019 he's going to be even a little bit worse than he is now, which is still maybe good enough to get you to the finals to get to a championship. But I just I can't, I can't imagine wasting what precious time you have with LeBron James, who's 33 years old. Yeah, that's a very good point. I agree with you 100%. All right. Well, I think that's good. Obviously, uh, there's a lot more signings that went on, a lot that happened, but those are the ones that I think moved the needle. Um, we didn't even we, we intentionally didn't talk about the Jazz, and that's what we'll talk about on point two. We'll go over all the Jazz Jazz actions of this off season in chronological order, and we'll um, give you the details and our thoughts and impressions on those signings. Point two. For point two, we're going to talk about the Utah Jazz, and we're going to go over all of the offseason actions so far. Um, I would say it seems like it's pretty much over. I don't think the Jazz have anything else up their sleeve. And, and to I don't know if it was a surprise, but to some people's chagrin, um, the Jazz just chose to essentially bring everybody back. They're, they're going to run it back next year, bring them back the band. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's the right decision, Jared? Um, I mean, without knowing what opportunities were out there, because, of course, there's stuff that happens, you know, kind of behind the curtain that we'll never know for sure. But, I mean, I absolutely think it was the right thing to do. And you, John, have touched on this before, specifically about Derek Favors, when he talked about, you know, if if not Derek Favors, then who was kind of a big question. And kind of along that vein, I'd say the question that the Jazz had to ask themselves and that Jazz fans need to ask themselves is, okay, the goal here is a championship. Who could the Jazz realistically add, or what could they realistically do to, to get over that hump and beat the Warriors? And I honestly, you know, being realistic, I don't see anything that could have done that for them well, I mean, that would have been any better than what they did. Obviously, we saw how good the Jazz were to close out last season. You know, they went 29-6 and to end the year. 
Um, if Ricky Rubio is healthy for the playoffs, maybe we see more of a challenge to the Rockets. I mean, this team is dang good. They're not going to have to get over those bumps of chemistry and cohesion to start next year. And I 100% support the decision to bring back these guys. I've been kind of saying I'm on the Derek Favors train for a while. I know a lot of Jazz fans are talking about like Jabari Parker and Kevin Love and different stretch four guys like that. But I've been pretty sold on Favors for most of the end of this season, and I'm really glad the Jazz brought him back. And I'm good with the other ones as well. I think it was just a smart move to keep the chemistry intact. You know, maybe we totally exceed expectations and we, we challenge the Warriors. Um, or, or maybe we don't. But at the end of the day, there wasn't really much else we could have done better. And this just gives us one more year to really evaluate ourselves. And then in 2019, when we have a lot more flexibility and there's a lot of free agents available, we can kind of make more of a move from there. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I mean... I mean, as far as who we could have brought in, I mean, obviously LeBron James. I don't know why we didn't do that. I mean, um, we didn't want him here. That's why we could have got him. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. And I, so I actually just wrote an article that will probably go up later today uh, about why I think it was the right decision for the Jazz to just kind of stand pat and run everything back. Um, and a big part of that is kind of what you talked about, just kind of the chemistry and the cohesion and being able to like jump into next season and not have to integrate any new players. Um, but when you look at last year, if the Jazz were healthy last year, I mean, they were already probably a 55-win team. Um, so why not run that back? If, if you're not going to beat the Golden State Warriors, the, the main goal for you should just be to put the best product on the floor that you can. And I think that probably is just the team they have. Um, there's a, a website called mangameslost.com. Um, that goes over projected like losses due to injury, and they projected the Jazz as the number one team um, with 12.9 additional losses due to injury. Um, and if that really is the case, like run it back. If you're healthy, you should be a 55 plus one team. Um, so real quick, we'll just touch on each of each of the signings, each of the things that happened, um, and give you our quick two cents on it. Um, so the first thing first, they retained Tabo Cephalosha. Um, I believe they did this on July 5th, just the second day. I think that was, no, July 2nd. Is that when it was? Pretty sure. It was on Sunday. I like it. I like Tabo Cephalosha. Yeah, I think that's when it was. Um, I like Tabo Cephalosha. I don't think there was any any hurt bringing him back. Really, really good year last year before he got hurt. He was actually having one of the best years of his career, even though he's in his 30s. Um, defensively, he was everything we thought he was going to be, just lockdown defender. We could throw him at the best wings in the league. Um, he's, he's big enough as well that he can also kind of guard some fours, especially in today's NBA. Um, thing that impressed me was he, he'd really struggled to shoot the three. Um, I mean, he has for a lot of his career. He's kind of been like a lower 30% three-point shooter. Um, but in the Utah Jazz system, he actually jumped up to 38% from three. So he, he was really, really just an effective, solid player. And I, I, I can totally understand why the Jazz brought him back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was, you know, even when he wasn't playing, you just knew he was such a good veteran presence, a good locker room presence. And so I just, I was fully in support of it. I think that if he can come back from his injury strong, we're going to see him be a, a good contributor for the Jazz once again. So really glad they kept Tabo. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I brought up with Tabo Cephalosha that does worry me a little bit, and I don't know if worry is the right word, but Cephalosha got hurt, and then after he got hurt, we made the deadline trades to bring in Jay Crowder, and I just worry that there's some overlap there. 
of Jay Crowder and Tabo Cephalosha. I feel like they play a similar role for the Jazz. Um, so I just kind of wonder like how the playing time is going to shake out with that and if maybe Tabo Cephalosha is going to take on even a lesser of a role. And it's it's really, he's just going to be kind of that veteran presence who we brought him back just because we want him to be there. Um, I don't know how much playing time he's going to get, but we'll see. I mean, there's probably a way that you could play both of them or kind of offset their minutes. Next one, Derek Favors. This is obviously probably the biggest news of the Jazz and their biggest free agent that they were focusing on. It was pretty quick. They re-signed Derek Favors on Monday, and the contract is going to be a two-year, $36 million contract. But the biggest part about that contract, I would say, is the second year is non-guaranteed, which means that if the Jazz want to, if things don't really work out this year with Favors, or if there's a a big-time free agent that they really feel like they can bring in, um, the Jazz can decline Derek Favors' team option and allow him to walk and be a free agent next year. Overall, I think that's a good idea. I think it's the right decision. Um, Derek Favors, there's a lot of people question his fit with the Jazz and kind of the twin towers of Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, but I mean, as far as the numbers are concerned, there's never really been any evidence that it doesn't work unless you're playing like the Houston Rockets or maybe the Golden State Warriors and those teams who can really kind of exploit it. Yeah, I I just think with Favors, my biggest thing is, you know, it, it was a chemistry move, it was a cohesion move, and really keeping him on board is going to be just big for that. And then I also think, you know, Dennis Lindsay said in those interviews when they brought Favors on, he said, you know, without Derek Favors, there's no second round of the playoffs these past two years. And so the fact that, you know, I mean, and that's that's totally true. When Rudy Gobert went down against the Clippers, like Favors saved us in that game yeah. one and was great in that series. And then Favors had, you know, the one monster game, especially against Oklahoma City this past year, um, but he was great. And I think the one thing about Favors, too, is that, you know, he could be a starting center or, you know, starting power forward on lots of different teams. Um, and he admitted, did you read that letter he wrote about why he decided to stay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just love that. And, and, like, he recognizes fully that it's going to take sacrifices, but he also realizes there's something special going on here with the Jazz, and so he wants to stick with that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Quinn Snyder's figured out how to utilize him and Rudy, and that's awesome. And then you alluded to it, you know, with his contract being the, you know, the second year non-guaranteed, he's getting paid probably more than, he, than he's worth this year, you could argue. Um, but the fact that we have that flexibility for next year is just absolutely huge. I think it's a win for all parties. Yeah, I think that's a big thing, too, is just the Jazz have always said they want players who want to be here, that they're not interested in bringing in players who don't like Utah and don't like the culture. Um, I, I've always remembered it. I, I think it was Dennis Lindsay who said it. Um, he was on the radio on 1280, and they asked him, like, how does he respond to players who say like they don't want to be here in Utah because it's not a fun place to live? And his response was, if they don't want to be here, we don't want them here. Um, so it's really nice to have a guy like Derek Favors who really just, it genuinely seems like he enjoys Utah. And I feel like he's the type of guy who, even if he does leave Utah, I imagine he's going to keep his house here and he's going to keep coming back. Because um, I, I feel like he enjoys it here and he likes it. And he, I mean, really, when you think about it, he came in when he was 19 years old. I mean, he grew up here. He became an adult here. Um, so this really for him, it's probably his second home. Um, so it's cool to have him back. I think it's going to be good. I think as far as basketball goes, I also think it's the right decision. 
Um, it's really nice for our defensive culture being able to have a constantly have a good center. I'm sure we're going to do more of just the stardom. They'll play five minutes together and then uh, favors will just kind of transition into the backup center for Gobert, um, which is great though. How many teams can do that? How many teams can constantly have that type of presence on the court? Uh, so I think it's going to be really good. I, I'm excited for favors. I'm glad it's going to be back. The one thing I do have to say is I recently found out that Derek Favors blocked me on Twitter. Come on, Favors. Unblock me. I don't know why. I really don't know why. It makes no sense. I don't remember saying anything bad about him, but... This right. is random, but I am blocked by Jack Cooley, and I have oh, man. absolutely no clue why. I, I never, barely even talked about that guy ever, so... King, King of the Summer League. Jeez. Ouch. I'm sorry. It's hard. I still love Derek Favors, so it's fine. I'm over it. All right, let's move on. Um, the next one, this is kind of minor. This one actually surprised me. Um, they re-signed Howell Neto. And I mean, minor contract, two-year, 4.4 million contract. Um, so I don't, I don't think here's really anything to complain about. The second year, again, like with this, the Jazz history of keeping 2019 open, the second year of this contract is a non-guaranteed contract. Um, just kind of keeping that theme of Utah just looking to keep their financial flexibility for the 2019 offseason. Um, I like Neto, though. It doesn't really move the needle. I think he's probably one of the perfect third guards in the NBA. Every team needs one. If your point guard goes down with an injury, you need to have a guy who can just step in. He's not going to rock the boat. He's, he's just going to be a good placeholder if there's an injury. So I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's really good friends with Rudy Gobert, so I think, you know, you're not going to overpay someone just because of a friendship, but I think the value we got him at and keeping Gobert happy, those are good things to do. Yeah. I think it's a good move. Yeah, it's a good bromance. you got to follow them on Instagram. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll let you talk about this one. The next one is they re-signed Dante Exum, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were really thrown off by the number, the three years, $33 million. What were your thoughts? I mean, honestly, John, with this one, um, we can't grade or evaluate this one until he's done with his the third year of the contract. I mean, that's all there is to it. And I think the Jazz recognize that, too, that this is a bit of a risky move. It really is. But what it does also is it's, it's a vote of confidence in Dante Exum. I mean, if I'm Exum and if the Jazz come to me and been like, well, we'll offer you this much, we want to give you a one-year deal, you know, all of a sudden his confidence is just shaken and that, wow, these guys don't really believe that I can do it. What they've done with this is they've given him a, a pretty big contract, bigger than a lot of people would have liked to see. And essentially they've said, Dante, look, we know that, that your career hasn't gone how you'd hoped, but we're still 100% invested in you. We 100% believe in you. Now go out there and show us what you can do. And, and I love that because I, I think he still has the chance to make this contract look silly in a good way. He could actually, you know, outplay it. And by the end of year three, it could be, you know, a huge bargain. On the flip side of that, you know, he hasn't proven that he's worth this much yet. So if he continues to have injuries or if he just can't seem to, you know, get used to the NBA game, if, if he doesn't add more to his offense, it may end up being a bit of an overspend. And that's a little bit scary, but, you know, you have to take risks like this if you want to keep good talent. You know, say that Dante Exum totally blows expectations out of the water and he totally lives up to this contract and surpasses it. When he's an unrestricted free agent, he is going to remember, hey, you know, when I was when I was not when I was kind of down and I hadn't been playing that well, the Jazz believed in me and they gave me this big contract. I think he's going to be a lot more apt to re-sign than he is to look to go somewhere else. So, well, it's definitely a risk, and, and 
Dante has a lot of work to do and a lot to prove. I'm okay with it, and I just hope that it pans out. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think hit the nail on the head. It's just risk and reward. Um, I like Dante Exum. I think he has a lot of upside still. I mean, during the playoffs last year, he just had a few moments where it was just like, okay, yeah, like that's why you pay him that money. Um, he's just never been able to do it over a whole season because he's never been healthy. I think one of the most exciting things for me is that for one of the first times in his career, Dante Exum is going to go into the offseason fully healthy. And he's going to have this whole time to just improve his game, to work, to get stronger, to get better. Um, hopefully come back as a more confident shooter. And if he can stay healthy all next year, I think he's going to show us that that contract was worth it. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, the number doesn't worry me. I think that's kind of my biggest thought is it's $9.6 million over the next three years with it can drop to 9.1 or it can climb to 11 based on incentives that's not that bad of a contract i mean how often do you hear somebody say like oh man like we have no flexibility because of this 9.6 million dollar contract like it's not a black hole and if something happens they can always trade it i think there's still going to be teams out there who are intrigued by dante exum so if for whatever reason it's not working out i just i don't think it's gonna hinder us in any way going forward so I think it's good. I think it's good for his confidence, too. I think that's something that is a really underrated part of the game and these contracts is it's hard for these players not to look at the contract they get and to kind of judge themselves and to judge how other people must view them because of that contract. Um, so I think this is good. I think it would be good for Dante Exum. Um, yeah, and one, one thing I'll say just real quick, John, is that I love all these incentive-based contracts. I know I was reading the other day that a lot of them have defensive incentives in them. I just think that's awesome. That, that really embodies the culture of the Jazz, and it makes it so that it kind of takes some of the risk out of these contracts and that if these guys don't live up to the incentives, then it's not hurting the Jazz as much financially. So I, I think it's great. Yeah, definitely. Um, the next one, they waived Jonas Drebko. I think this surprised a lot of people. Um I know it surprised me at first, and the, the biggest reason it surprised me was because Philadelphia um, signed Belitsa. I, I don't know how to say his name. Can you say his name? Belitsa, yeah. Is that right? I could never say his name. When they signed him, though, it seemed like, oh, we're going to keep Jonas Drebko, because that was the clear like replacement who had been linked to him. Yeah. Um, so when Philadelphia made that signing, I just kind of assumed we were going to keep Drebko, but... Um, shortly after, it was a bit unexpected, but they waived Jonas Jurebko, who has since opted to sign with the Golden State Warriors. I'm fine with this. I really like Jonas Jurebko. I think he was really fun. I loved his passion. I mean, he's he's one of those guys who, athletically, he just doesn't necessarily have it, but he played harder than almost anybody so that he could continue to compete. So. I always really, really appreciated what he did on the court. Um, and he shot the ball really, really well. He was a 42% three-point shooter last year. Um, but this does open up space for Georges Nang, who is a guy I've really, really liked this summer league and who played incredibly well last year in the G League. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with that opportunity and how much playing time he gets. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll say that like I was a little bummed to see us get rid of Drevko, uh, especially with the Elita already off the table. Um, but I, I just hope that Jazz had something good planned, and I think that adding Yang is definitely a good plan. Uh, I'm really excited about him. 
I think he could be, you know, the diamond in the rough, kind of a Royce O'Neal 2.0. Um, so I'm happy to have him, and we'll see. He may not really break into the rotation, but we also didn't think that Royce O'Neal would break into the rotation. He became an absolute stud. I think that Yang has really awesome potential to be a great stretch four option. I mean, he, he shot the three extremely well in the G League last year, like upwards of 50%, just mind-blowing figures that even if you're wide open, you know, the numbers he was putting up were, were fantastic. So, I don't know. I just think that um, while I'm sad to see Drebko go, I feel good about the fact that Yang's going to get that spot, and I'm really high on what he could potentially bring to the team if he continues to develop. And, and the Jazz obviously are known for successfully developing players like him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think part of it, too, might be um, something I didn't even think about, but I mentioned it with the Tabo Cephalosha signing is where is Tabo going to play with um, Jay Crowder being here now? Well, maybe that's where it is. Maybe Jay Crowder is going to slide over to kind of a full-time stretch four, and he'll take the Drebko minutes, and Cephalosha gets playing time at the three. So it might be that just with health, they felt like there was going to be too much of a logjam there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it really moves the needle too much. Like, I like Drebko, but as far as, like, wins created, I don't know how many games he was winning for us. And Georges Yang is younger and I think has potential to be potentially even have a higher ceiling than Drebko. So that'll be good. Yeah. Um, the last one was they retained Ekpe Udo. Not huge news. I think we all expected it. I mean... Who doesn't want the second-best rim protector in the entire NBA on their team, according to him? So. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's really good. I think I think Ekpeodu is a, just a really effective, good player to have. He's similar to Howell Neto, where I think there's just a big benefit to having a player who is kind of your third rotational player. He, he doesn't play every game. He gets in there every once in a while, but barring an injury, which the Jazz have been known to have, Rudy Gobert has been known to have, I think Udo is a really, really effective player to have in your lineup because he can fill that role in a very, very effective way. Um, I mean, if Rudy Gobert is obviously 100% of Rudy Gobert, um, I think Udo can probably give you 70, 75% of Rudy Gobert, and I think that's better than a lot of other players. So I like the signing, and it's, again, I mean, it's not a signing. They're just retaining him, but it's like $3 million. So I think it'll be a good good pickup. Yeah, it, it's really, to me, it's, it's not sexy. It's not a big move, but it's, it's good insurance. Um, you know, you mentioned with Favors, we always have a rim protector on the floor. Now if Gobert or, or Favors is hurt, we'll still have Udo, who's a great rim protector. Um, yeah, nothing wrong with it at all. Great pickup. Cool. Um, well, I think we are ready to move on to the next and final point, unless there's anything else you wanted to say about the Jazz signings. I think that's it, John. Okay. I think the big takeaway that I got from this, though, is that the Jazz are really looking to bring everything back, see what they have, but also keeping maximum flexibility for 2019. I mean, the vast majority of these contracts that we talked about, many of them have the potential to be off the books next summer which is just going to free up a ton of space. Um, and then also, this is Alec Burke's final year of his contract, so that 11 to $12 million comes off as well. So the Jazz have really set themselves up nicely to have just a huge 2018-2019 NBA season, but then also they've set themselves up to really be big, big players in the 2019 free agency. All right, well, let's jump on to point number three. Point three. 
For point number three, Jared and I are going to talk about uh, the summer league this year and kind of who stood out to us on this Jazz team, young players who maybe we haven't really thought about or players who were drafted last year and we've seen the strides that they've taken. Um, I'll let you start us off, Jared. Who's kind of the player who's made the most impact in your mind? Well, I think the easy one to say is Niang, uh, but obviously we know that he is now going to be a member of the Jazz, which is really cool. Um, been fun to watch, you know, Grayson Allen kind of get his start, I guess. I, I got to be honest, John, maybe we can talk about this a little bit too, but still not 100% sold on Grayson Allen. It's going to take some time to win me over probably. But <laughs> the guy that I want to yeah. talk about is Stan Kidd. Um, obviously, he played for, for Colorado State, and he has been absolutely phenomenal um, with the Jazz and Summer League. There was a rumored report, um, we actually um, mentioned it as well on the JNMS.com, that the Jazz were looking to give Kidd a contract um, that hasn't been made official yet, um, just kind of something that, that could be in the works. Most likely that would be a two-way contract, obviously, with the Jazz's roster pretty much being filled. Um, but I hope they do. I really think that he's proved himself. He's proved that he deserves a chance to develop and play for the Salt Lake City Stars. And so, yeah, I think Kidd, is, with his athleticism and his scoring and his hustle, his defense, he's just been good across the board. And so I really hope the Jazz give him a shot. Yeah, yeah. I'm really high on Stan Kidd. He was somebody who... I don't know about you, I had never heard of him. I had no idea who he was. Um, but then ever since this summer league, like he just he stood out to me as a guy who could really benefit an NBA team. I feel like he could be kind of that next Royce O'Neal type player, someone who out of college went undrafted, spent a couple of years in Europe, and just really kind of grew their game in Europe. And now they're coming back and they're really ready to contribute for an NBA team. I mean, the one thing that really impressed me is he's just, he's big. He's bigger than I realized. He's 6'8", 225. Uh, but he moves really quick. He's very athletic, um, but he shoots the ball well. I mean, he shot 40% in college, and when he went over to Europe, he shot about that same 40%, and so far in the summer league, he shot around 40%. So I think he's shown through a lot of different levels that he is someone who can shoot the three ball. I mean, really, he's been very, very impressive. One of the things that stood out to me about him was a lot of times in the summer league you see certain like fringe players try and force things because um, I mean this is their moment to shine right like this is their they're going to prove that they're an NBA star um, and he hasn't done that he's just he's played within the offense he's done what he's supposed to every game he shot about seven to nine shots but he's shooting 58 percent from the field um, so really, he's just taking full advantage of what the Jazz are creating for him in his offense, which I think that's what the Jazz want to see more. Like, who's a young player who isn't going to come in here and try and show that he belongs and should be a star, but is going to come in and just fit with the team and can play within an offense and a system? Um, he's definitely proven to do that. I'm really high on kid. Yeah, for sure. The other one that I'll bring up, uh, and honestly, I, I've been a little surprised that he hasn't gotten a ton of opportunity, uh, but that's Jarius Lyles, who obviously played for UMBC, uh, who was the first 16 seed to upset the number one seed. And the Jazz have actually agreed to a contract with him. Uh, I believe it's called an Exhibit 10 contract. And essentially, you know, it's a training camp deal. He'll get to be, you know, with the Jets for training camp. Um, barring some sort of crazy surprise, it, he's not going to make the final 15-man roster. Uh, but he could very well get a two-way contract. He could play with the Stars. Um, but he's someone that, you know, he was fun to watch at, a, at the college level. And I think he definitely has some NBA skills. And it's going to be fun to see, you know, what becomes of him, whether he gets more chance in, in summer league moving forward 
Um, Jazz actually play Saturday evening. Um, also, if, you know, what he can do in training camp, what he can do in preseason, be fun to see what they got at Lyles. Yeah, yeah, he was a fun guy. I don't know if Jazz fans are going to want another Lyles on the team, not just yet. Um, but really fun, really fun player. Cool story. He's the guy on UMBC who helped lead that team to a number 16 over a number one seed over Virginia. So really cool story. I think that's kind of where he got his national prominence. But, I mean, he had a good year for that team. He averaged over 20 points a game in college. So he can definitely score the ball. I think kind of what you said, he's – his chances of actually making the Jazz roster are very, very slim. But if if he comes on and plays well in preseason and shows well, I think the Jazz could take a flyer on him for a few ten day or ten day two way contracts where he'll just spend a lot of time with their uh, G League affiliate. For me, some of the bigger names that have stood out. Um, so with Grayson Allen, obviously, I think we have to talk about him just as a Jazz rookie. He started off pretty slow. His shooting just wasn't there. I think that's the one thing that I don't know if I'm too concerned about his shooting in the summer league because he's being asked to do so much more than he's going to do in the actual NBA, if you know what I mean. Because like he's asked to be like the number one option on the summer league team. But by the time he gets to the NBA, all we're going to ask him to really do is just like, hey, move within the offense, spot up, and you'll probably get open threes off of Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell. Um, so his shooting doesn't really worry me because I think when he gets those open looks in the NBA, I think he'll hit him within the offense. I don't know about you. The most surprising thing to me is I had no idea Grayson Allen could pass so well. I, I had no idea. He has terrific vision. I mean, he was setting guys up left and right. In the Vegas Summer League, he's averaging four assists. And then in the Utah Summer League, he was averaging seven and a half. Man. Um, so really just impressive vision, impressive just mind and being able to see, like, what's the right play and being able to set those guys up really, really impressed me. Yeah, and one thing about Summer League, too, is you know, they always said that you can never read too much into it, like whether it be positive or negative, because like you said, their role and the competition is obviously going to be completely different when they join an NBA team. Um, but I did read one thing that the Jazz, I can't remember who it was, but someone with the Jazz organization was saying that, you know, look, we're encouraged by Grayson Allen because he's done well at the things that we knew he was good at. He's shown that he needs to improve on the things we already knew he needed to improve on. So he's really just met our expectations. And to me, that was reassuring to hear because, um, you know, it's not like it's not like they've watched him in summer league and like, oh, man, now he has these glaring weaknesses we weren't aware of. It's been, okay, yeah, we've got what we thought we did. We know where we need to work. We know where we need to improve him. And hopefully he'll have that right mindset and work ethic to be able to improve those things, and it'll all pan out just fine. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that's really encouraging to me is certain players with their shooting, if they're not shooting well, what else do they give you? And a lot of times it's really not much. And I think that's what I really liked about Grayson Allen was if he wasn't shooting well, like he isn't shooting well, he's giving you other things. He was getting a lot of rebounds. He was getting assists. He was playing really just hard-nosed defense, getting hustle plays by getting deflections and diving for loose balls. I think that's really encouraging is we have a player who hopefully he can shoot. Hopefully he can get into a rhythm and really improve his shooting and be just kind of a knockdown three-point um, catch-and-shoot player. Um, but regardless of how long it takes him to kind of get that into his game, I think we know we're going to get the other things, um, which will make him an effective rotational player. Yeah, for sure. Um, anybody, anybody on a league scale that's impressed you? Yeah, there's been some guys who have been really impressive. Uh, Derek White 
um, played really, really well in the Utah and Las Vegas Summer League, yeah. uh, which is what you want to see. Like, I, I kind of like looking in the Summer League. I, obviously, the rookies are fun to look at, but I'm always really intrigued by the second-year players to see, like, how much they've grown. Because um, the second-year players should come in with a year under their belt, and they should be able to dominate in the Summer League. And when they don't, it's usually really, really concerning to me because it's like you had a whole year in the NBA. What were you doing? Uh, why have you not gotten better? Um, and Derek White really, really got better. Um, so that's really been impressive to me. Um, trying to think of some other players. John Collins for Atlanta looks pretty good. Actually, in Utah, I went to all three games um, in Utah. Impressed me that he was actually able to spot up and hit a few three-pointers. I didn't know he had that in his game, and it's obviously something he worked on. And with his athleticism, um, it's just going to be—he's going to be a really hard player to handle if he has developed a three-point shot. I mean, obviously, there's the rookies that stand out. Wendell Carter Jr. looks really, really good for Chicago. He's getting like four blocks a game, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, Kevin Knox looks like. I've seen a lot of tweets that are kind of like jokingly saying that Kevin Knox is going to, he's already a future Hall of Famer. But I mean, he definitely, he, I, I did not know he was going to be this good. He's been really, really good. Anyway, how about, how about you? Who stood out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I actually agree with the, the guys that you've said. Um, I also thought that uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. looked pretty good, uh, you know, for the Memphis Grizzlies. I think, too, that uh, DeAndre Ayton has looked pretty good. Um, you know, I, I was a little bit skeptical on, you know, the Suns picking him over um, Luka Doncic. Um, and I'm a little disappointed we didn't get to see Luka play, um, obviously with the kind of the contract issues there as far as coming over from uh, from overseas. But, yeah, that's that's kind of who said to me, I guess, of who I've watched. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch it as much as I would have liked to. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of been my thoughts on Summer, summer League across the NBA so far. Are there any... I don't know if you've given this much thought, but it's always fun in the summer league and in any draft to start looking like later in the draft, like maybe once you get past the lottery. Um, have there been any players who were drafted a little later who you think like already, who that guy might be a steal? Um, so, again, this might be showing my, uh, my bias a little bit, and it is who I, I've watched. You're going to say Aaron Holiday, aren't you? Well, no, actually, Aaron Holiday has been okay, but I am going to say a Pacers player. <laughs> I think um, Elise Johnson has actually looked really good being in the Pacers. Um, he's kind of, I mean, he hasn't put up, like, crazy stats by any means, but he's had a ton of really good hustle plays. He's rebounded extremely well. And, I mean, you hate to make player comparisons when they're just in the summer league, uh, when they're just in the summer league, but, you know, I could see him maybe being, like, a, I don't know, you hate to say this, but like a Draymond Green-esque kind of guy that just does it all. And um, I've been impressed with the bits I've seen with him for sure. So that's the guy I was going to say. Yeah, definitely. Um, the one guy I've noticed, and I've already tweeted a little bit about him just because I've been really impressed, but Mitchell Robinson for New York, he was the guy who didn't play in college. So that he, there's a lot of mystery and intrigue around him. Uh, he's averaging right now 13 points, 10.2 rebounds, and four blocks a game. Um, and I watched him the other day, and he had a game where he had four blocks, and every one of them was a block on a jump shot. He actually, he didn't have a single block at the rim, but he blocked four jump shots, which is, that was more impressive to me, just showing, like, his length and athleticism and ability to recover. Um, I mean, there's a guy who, he's a big guy, too. He's a seven-footer. 
I mean, I just think in my head, like, you put him next to Chris Tapps Porzingis, man, that could be really, really effective. So I think the Knicks actually might be one of the teams that I look at and just say, like, man, they kind of won the draft. Like, Kevin Knox looks like he might be already is looking like he might be one of the best players in the draft. And Mitchell Robinson, who they got really late, is looking like a guy who can be really, really effective, like, I don't know, like DeAndre Jordan, Tyson Chandler type player who just catches lobs, gets rebounds, and block shots. So he's been really impressive to me. All in all, I've been impressed with this class. I can't look at really anyone in the top of the draft class who I'm saying, whew, like already they look like a major problem. Um, I had worries about Trey Young there early on, but he's actually even turned it around over the last few games and is playing pretty well. So we'll see. I think everyone always overreacts during the summer league and we try and make judgments based off of two games that they play. But really fun, really encouraging. I think the Jazz have a lot of really impressive talent who probably aren't going to make it on the roster next year, but I could see them ending up on another team's roster. Um, So it's been really fun. Any last-second thoughts for you with the Utah Jazz in the summer league? Yeah, I guess just like you said, that there could be some players that you know have played well for the Jazz and maybe they'll end up somewhere else. One guy I'd like to see have success is uh, Nazmi Long. Um, you know, he's had he had some good moments in summer league, and I feel like he has a lot of yeah. talent. That could be a really good shooter. Which I think I saw he he signed with some European team. Oh, did he? I think okay. so. Yeah, I think he's going to be playing overseas next year. Okay, well, good for him. I mean, I, just, I hope he finds success because I think he's been fun to watch and. Um, you know, I was going to say whether he got a two-way contract or not or wherever he ended up, I, I hope that he can do well because he's been fun to have as a Jazz fan. Yeah, I think he's been really well. Uh, Keelan Martin was a guy who has been playing pretty well out of Baylor. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up either on the Jazz G League roster or other teams. Um, all in all, it's been really fun. Really been impressed with what I've seen with the Jazz. And they're still playing. They made it through their, their first game of the Summer League Vegas tournament. So yeah. if you have time, check them out. Well, I think that's all we have for you now, Jazz fans. We'll be able to touch base maybe some more next week. I think we're going to talk about, um, after this, just kind of what to expect over the rest of the summer and things that we can look forward to maybe next year. Um, Anything final you want to add, Jared? Um, No, just good luck to the Jazz in the summer league game they have tonight and uh, just looking forward to getting back into doing the show with you, John. Cool. Sounds good. Um, as always, make sure you're checking out our stuff at thejnotes.com. Really lots of content, especially over the summer. Uh, I think it was last summer, David Locke was doing his podcast, and he actually gave the J Notes a shout-out because even during the dead times of the summer, we were still pumping out good content. Um, and we'll get more of that this year. Um, as always, you can follow Jared Woodcox on Twitter. I believe it's at Jared Woodcox. Is that right? Yep. Follow Jared. Lots of good stuff. You can follow me at um, at John underscore Kiefer. And we will talk to you all next week.